Hey, good evening. Thanks for being with us. It's another week here at Bible Study Fellowship, and we're looking at the Gospel of John. Tonight, we'll be in John chapter 5, looking at Jesus's ministry in the city of Jerusalem uh, during a feast of the Jews where he heals an invalid man at the pool of Bethesda and also engages with his enemies, the, the people who are referred to by John as the Jews or the Pharisees. Let me open us in prayer, and we'll get started. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that as we look at your word tonight, uh, you will begin to reveal the reality to us of who Jesus is. Help us to see him as the person he claims to be, the Messiah, your son, uh, the one who has come to deal with sin and death forever and to bring eternal life to your people. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. I wonder if you've ever gotten an email, maybe from your bank or from Amazon or some other company that maybe you do business with. And uh, it it warns you that something has happened. Uh, You need to change your account password or a package that you ordered isn't going to be delivered. And as you begin to examine this email a bit more closely, you notice that there are some problems with it. So instead of being sent from U.S. Bank, B-A-N-K, it is instead sent to you from U.S. Bank, B-E, And if you look closely at the the message that they they tell you about, you notice that there are some maybe minor grammatical errors. Uh, And maybe the third problem with the email is that you happen to know for a fact you don't have an account with U.S. Bank. Uh, Clearly, this is an email that's referred to as phishing. Someone is trying to get you to reveal sensitive information about yourself by impersonating some other entity. And the credentials of that email, the testimony of that email doesn't pass muster. And I think that the people that we're going to learn about tonight, that the author of the uh, Gospel of John, John the Apostle, uh, these people have problems with the claims about who Jesus is. Uh, They're looking at Jesus's credentials and they feel that he cannot be the person that he says that he is. He cannot be from God. He cannot be someone who is a true Jew. He cannot be the Messiah because he doesn't follow our interpretations of the Mosaic law. He doesn't act and do the kinds of things that we value as the current leaders of the nation of Israel. He heals on the Sabbath. He instructs people to carry their bedrolls on the Sabbath. He makes friends with sinners and with people who the Pharisees and the leaders at the time said were people of ill repute. This cannot be the one who has come from the Father, who has come from God. And we're going to see Jesus be addressing this issue of his claims on who he is head on. Uh, He's going to provide some very clear evidence through his testimony uh, of who he is. And so that really the aim for this lesson, the thing that I want us to learn, is that Jesus offers proof for who he is. Jesus offers proof for who he is. We're going to look at John chapter 5 in two parts. We're going to look at the healing at the pool of Bethesda, and then we're going to look at the rest of the chapter, uh, Jesus's interaction with his enemies, the Pharisees. Let's go ahead and get started with uh, John chapter 5, verses 1 through 17. What I'm going to suggest to you is that we aren't going to, we're going to walk away from this, this miracle at the pool of Bethesda, and it's going to, we're not going to know what to think. Uh, we're going to come to the end of this, of this story, and it's going to leave us feeling like something's off, but we're not sure what. And I'm going to suggest that once we get to John chapter 9, which is a very similar miracle about the man born blind, 
it's going to help us understand why we walked away from the reading of this of this parable of the story not not a parable uh, this pericope why is it that this story about the man healed at the pool feels off to us and John chapter 9 will illustrate that so uh, think more about that don't forget that sense of uneasiness about you know what what is wrong with this miracle what is wrong with the way that this man responded to Jesus but let's go ahead and let's look at it and then we'll maybe um, have a chance to think about John chapter 9 in weeks to come. First of all, Jesus is back in Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. John chapter 5 verse uh, John chapter 5 verse 1. We don't know what feast this is. Uh, but we know that Jesus was there for the feast and he comes to a place in the city of Jerusalem which is uh, near the sheep gate not far from the temple itself called uh, the pool of Bethesda which uh, is a place where people who had diseases and illnesses would gather. And Jesus goes there and Jesus has special knowledge of one of the people that's there. This is not dissimilar from the way that Jesus knew about the Samaritan woman, or he knew things about uh, Nathan, one of the people that he called to follow him. So Jesus has special knowledge, and that special knowledge that he has uh, is that this man has been an invalid for 38 years, and he has been maybe waiting or wanting to get into this pool uh, and the reasons aren't exactly cleared if your Bible doesn't include verse 4. If it does include verse 4, you might have some background information on that. But um, Jesus goes to this man, and he asks him a question. He asks the man, do you want to be healed? And this is in verse 6. Uh, the man responds, saying, essentially, yes, he does want to be healed, but he, the problem is, is that he has no one to put him into the pool. The water is stirred. And while the man is trying to go get into the water to receive healing, uh, somebody goes down before him. So this question that Jesus asked, we might wonder, why did Jesus ask this? But I think it really reveals the heart of this man. This man felt that what he needed wasn't so much healing. He had a plan for healing. He, he, he just had to, he was going to get into the water. The water was going to provide healing for him. But the thing that he needed was help. He needed someone to help him into the water. Uh, I have a plan, and I just really need someone to help me. And uh, his plan, you know, maybe hadn't been going very well because after for thirty-eight years, maybe he'd been trying day after day or waiting for the waters to be stirred up uh, and to be able to have someone help him into the water, but it hadn't panned out that way. And so, in response to this, Jesus gives the man three directions. Get up, take up your bed or take up your mat and walk. And at once the man gets up. The man is able to, uh, after 38 years, he was able to do something that he had not been able to do. He gets up, takes up his bed, and he begins to walk. Now, the author of uh, tells us that today was the Sabbath, and almost immediately the Jews, uh, mentioned in verse 10, said to the man who had been healed, it's the Sabbath, it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. And I think it's interesting that when we think about uh, the Jewish people, they were obviously located not far from the pool of Bethesda. And what were they doing at the pool? Were they trying to help people get into the water? Were they trying to administer some sort of mechanism that, you know, hey, let's let people who've been waiting the longest get in? Uh, the Jews don't seem to be doing any of those things at the pool, but rather... They were watching for lawbreakers. And almost immediately, they saw this man. 
uh, who acknowledges that he had been healed. And rather than celebrating the the healing, uh, rather than celebrating the change that had taken place in this man's life, rather than wondering, where's the man who healed you so that we can, you know, this amazing thing has happened. Uh, Again, what they wanted to know was who was the person that encouraged you to break the laws that we've set for the Sabbath? Where is the lawbreaker? Uh, and uh, as the story unfolds, we, we see that uh, the man continues on his way. He doesn't have to go very far to find himself in the temple, uh, but he's in the temple. And the, your, your Bibles tell us that Jesus found the man that he had healed earlier in the day. Uh, Jesus found the man. And um, this man did not know who Jesus was. He couldn't find him immediately after the healing. But they meet again. Jesus finds him. And I think that we would like to read into the story that this man whose life had been changed by this encounter with Jesus was searching all over the city of Jerusalem to find him. Maybe he had he'd gone to the fish gate or he'd gone to some other gate. He had walked all around the city. He'd been looking all day trying to find the man uh, that had healed him to be able to respond, to say thank you, uh, to, to ask more about who this man was, to hear more from him. Uh, it, you know, and so finally, we see that Jesus and this man do meet, not because of the man's initiative, but because Jesus found the man. And uh, Jesus has some additional directions for this man. See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. And I, I think in, in this moment, the question that I'm asking myself is, what would I do? If a man who had just brought me physical healing spoke these words to me, what would be my response when he says, stop sinning, sin no more? Uh, I've followed faithfully his other directions. I got up, I took up my mat, and I walked. And that same man is saying to me, sin no more. I, I would think, I would hope that my question would be, how do I do that? What does it look like me, for me to do that? You've brought me physical healing. What do I have to do to stop sinning? Instead, what happens is the man went away and told the Jews that the person who encouraged him to break the law, the person who healed him on the Sabbath, was Jesus. It feels like an unfulfilling end, and, and there's, there's no other part of the story. Uh, the story ends right there uh, with, with the man presenting information to the Jews. And we see how the Jews respond, uh, and this is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. And Jesus answered him, my father is working until now, and I am working. I think uh, um, the, the principle for this section is uh, our actions reveal what we believe about Jesus. Our actions reveal what we believe about Jesus. Have you ever had in your house uh, an electrical outlet on the wall that maybe you're worried isn't working? Perhaps the thing that you had plugged in there isn't responding the way that you were anticipating. And so you're trying to figure out, like, is this outlet on the wall working? Well, what I do, you might have a different strategy, is I usually get a light, some real simple electrical appliance, like a light and uh, I'll, I'll take it to an outlet that I know is working, and I'll plug in my light, and I'll turn it on, and it, it comes on usually, uh, and then I know, great, my light's working, I'm going to go plug it into my broken outlet and see what happens. 
And if the light comes on, the outlet's good. I know that it's delivering electricity. Uh, the light is able to use that electricity, and the light bulb comes on. Uh, if I plug the light in and it doesn't turn on, the outlet's bad. Uh, I have to look and figure out what's wrong with the outlet. Maybe I blew a fuse. Maybe there's some other problem, but I have a bad outlet. Uh, and I, I'm sort of thinking about you know that light, that light uh, that if I could plug a light into my heart or into your heart, or if I could plug a light into the heart of this man who was healed, uh, and if that, that light, rather than checking for electricity, was checking for belief, uh, what would I get when I would plug my belief light into this this man who had been healed heart? Would it light up? Would it reveal that uh, this man's heart was filled with belief? of Jesus, uh, or would it reveal that there was a problem? If I could take that light and if I could plug that light into the heart of the Jewish people and, and have that light reveal what was in the heart of the Jewish people, what would happen? Would it light up? Would that light show uh, belief in their heart? Uh, we don't have lights that work that way. And so what we often have to look at are the actions that people do. And as we look at the actions of the man that was healed by going to the Jews uh, and wanting to tell them who Jesus is, or we look at the actions of the Jewish people and realizing that their desire is ultimately to kill Jesus and stop him, uh, their hearts of those people are revealed. And I wonder in my own you know, test case scenario, what would happen if I took my belief light and plugged it into my own heart or plugged it into your heart? Uh, what are the things that would happen? Uh, I, sometimes I worry about if I did that to my own heart, you know, maybe the light would turn on, but it'd be like, man, that's not very bright. Um, uh, perhaps I'd have days when I might plug that light in and uh, for whatever reason, the, the sin and the frustration and the sorrow that's, that's filling my heart um, would, would over, overcome or would, would put pressure uh, on that belief light. I think that sometimes if people to look at my actions, they might say, Brett, uh, your belief seems weak. Uh, your belief seems small. Uh, perhaps uh, you can empathize with me as you think about your own actions, the things that you have done, as we think about what do our actions say about our heart as we think about who Jesus is. Um, perhaps you have a different story. Perhaps your actions prove that you're a faithful, a faithful follower of Jesus. But what is it that your actions reveal about your heart and the, 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 your belief or unbelief of Jesus? Well, let's take a look uh, at this other group of people that we've been hearing about so far, the Jews, these people that, that um, John refers to as the Jews. It's obviously not all of the Jews, Right, It isn't the Jews in totality, but he is referring to those people, the leading class, the people who were ultimately interested in killing Jesus. We can see this in uh, chapter 5, verse 18. This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his Father and making himself equal with God. Now, Jesus is going to speak words, uh, really beginning in verse 19, to this group of people. So we are uh, reading Jesus' words to the Jews. Uh, and so please, you know, internalize this as necessary, but know that Jesus is not necessarily speaking to you or to me, but he is speaking to this group of people who are opposed to him, who are trying to kill him. Uh, they are questioning his credentials. Uh, and so if you're in that camp, hear these words. 
as as it would be for the Jews. But if you're not in this camp, know that Jesus is speaking uh, to a specific group of individuals. Uh, first of all, Jesus points out in verses 19 through 24 that there is a connection between the Father and the Son. It would be impossible in, in Jesus' description to say, well, I love the Father, I love God, but I want to kill the Son. Those, those things are out of bounds. Uh, because in verse 23, Jesus points out, whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Uh, we also see that the way that people respond to Jesus uh, will result in whether they will be able to see the Father. Uh, Jesus, verse 24, whoever hears my work, my words, and believes him who sent me has eternal life. Eternal life will be in the presence with God. Uh, if we go on and if we look at verses 25 through 29, Jesus begins to say that the life that God has promised is only available through the Son. You aren't going to be able to get the life in any other way. Uh, The life that God offers his people is available through the Son. He begins to talk about who is going to receive that life and who is not going to receive that life in verse 29. Um, It says, and uh, coming out of the tombs, I should probably do a little bit more, 28. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. And what I would suggest to you is that doing good and doing evil is not going to be our, the things that we've done put on a scale and uh, evaluated, has Brett done good or has Brett done evil? Instead, um, people who believe the words of Jesus and who begin to act upon that, that belief that they have are the people that are doing good. It begins with belief and it ends with the things that we do. And uh, the people who do not believe the words of Jesus and are acting from that perspective, their actions come from their heart, from a position of unbelief, those are the people that are doing evil. And so ultimately, the camps that Jesus is defining about doing good and doing evil have to do with the condition of our heart, that, that light is being plugged in and it doesn't come on. And we know that there's a problem inside of uh, the hearts. And as a result, there's a problem with the things that we do. Jesus goes on, uh, beginning in verse 30, all the way through the end of the chapter, and he begins to talk about the witnesses, the testimony of people who provide evidence and information for who Jesus actually is. He offers, I I went through this and I think there's three, there's three witnesses that Jesus provides, John the Baptist, God the Father, and the Scriptures. He has some sub-points in there, I'll try to touch on some of those, but let's talk about those three different categories, John the Baptist, the Father, and and the Scriptures. The first one he talks about is John the Baptist. He, you know, the implication that he gives is like, look, you sent people to John, verse 33, uh, you've, you know that John bore witness to the truth. It also talks about the fact that, that the people identified as the Jews were willing to rejoice for a while in the light or in the truth that came from John the Baptist. The other person that Jesus offers as a person who testifies about him is God the Father. And God the Father predominantly is offering testimony about who Jesus is by the work of that he has given Jesus to do. Some of that work is, is, a, is, a, is a preaching and a teaching work. 
And some of that work is a miraculous healing work, like we've seen uh, with the man born with the that with the man who is an invalid, with the wedding at Cana, uh, with the the royal official's daughter who's been raised from the dead. We've seen that Jesus has miraculous works that God has enabled, empowered, and equipped him to do. And so God is also acting as a witness uh, for who Jesus is. The other witness that Jesus mentions is the scriptures. And the Pharisees were diligent uh, in their search of the scriptures. And in fact, they were of the opinion that the life that, that is offered from God, this, this eternal life, this blessed life, would be available to them because of their work searching the scriptures, trying to understand the scriptures. Uh, and Jesus goes on to say, you know, no, the, the scriptures bear witness about me. And the life that God offers is available through me. Uh, he also goes on to talk about the prominent character uh, that, the, that the Pharisees and the Sadducees and that the Jewish leadership would have focused on, namely Moses. Uh, Moses was a hero to the to the people of this day and age because he was the person who brought the law, the rules, the instructions that God gave, the Ten Commandments, and the other uh, directions that God gave that they had made into this uh, this this law that they were following came from Moses. Uh, and Jesus goes on to say that as you study the scriptures, as you study about Moses, what you fail to realize is that Moses wrote about me. Moses talked about the one who was going to come. If you do not believe Moses' words and Moses' writings, how will you believe my words? Uh, and so Jesus offers, through this discussion with the, the, the Jewish people, a, a couple of problems that they have, a couple of heart problems that they have. Number one, uh, he points out that these people do not have the word of God abiding in them. Number two, he refutes them for saying that you refuse to come to Jesus to receive life. Then number three, the third point that he, that he calls them out on is he says, you do not believe Moses. You do not believe Moses. And so the principle for this section is that Jesus is bringing division. Jesus is bringing division to people. Uh, he is dividing people into groups of people who believe and people who do not believe. Uh, that is one of the missions that Jesus had on this world was to clarify those who believed God and those who did not. You know, the classic, the classic instructions for a dinner party or a social gathering are don't talk about politics and religion. Uh, these topics can quickly result in people dividing uh, among different lines, and often there's bitterness that can exist between the two groups of people that are created. And if we are wondering why is it that religion is considered to be such a divisive topic, it's because fundamentally religion is going to evaluate what do you say about Jesus? What is your opinion about who Jesus is? World religions, whichever one it is, is going to have something to say about the person and work of Jesus Christ. And again, we will see that, that perspective on Jesus dividing people into two camps— those who believe in who he claimed to be, the Messiah, the Son of God, uh, the one who would uh, bring uh, victory over sin and death versus a good teacher, a great man, an imposter, 
whatever else other people say. But we're going to see uh, a separation of people into two different groups based upon what do they say about who Jesus is. Um, perhaps that's a question for you to consider. Uh, what do you say about Jesus? Who do you think he is? Are his words trustworthy? Are his words worth obeying? Uh, if Jesus says to you, get up and walk, are you going to get up and walk? If Jesus says to you, stop sinning, are you going to realize that there's a need to listen to him and to begin to figure out what does it look like to stop sinning? Are Jesus's words those that would drive action in your life and in my life? Uh, one of the other things we can learn as we as we begin to think about uh, the group that we're in, many times uh, when we look at the the other group, the group that we're not in, uh, what we what we see is that Jesus had a love for his enemies. Uh, Jesus loved these Pharisees. Jesus loved the Jews. Jesus loved these people, and he was trying to bring them from a place where he would go, where they would go from death into life. Perhaps God has given you a love of people who are different from you, people who are opposed to you, people who, given the chance, would insult uh, or, or in some other way harm you. Uh, that can be something uh, that, that is cultivated in our hearts only because the Spirit of God is at work in us and Jesus is changing us from the inside out. Uh, if, you're, if you're like me... Um, the story of a, of a man whose son was demon-possessed from Mark 9 uh, brings me great comfort and a, a great pattern of what I need to do in my life because I, we know that the thing that, that, that separates us into different groups is belief and unbelief. Uh, and we see unbelief at work in the hearts of the Jews, and, and we, we see belief trying to, to be at work in the heart of the, of the man who was healed. And we see belief trying to work in the heart of Nicodemus. Uh, and, uh, you know, we, we saw belief come to fruition in the, in the, in the life of the, of the royal official, in the heart of the royal official. Um, Mark 9.24, a man brought his demon-possessed son to the disciples for healing. The disciples weren't able to heal this, uh, heal this man's son. And so they brought the, the son to Jesus, and Jesus said uh, to the man and to all around them, um, all things are possible for one who believes. And the father immediately looks to Jesus and says, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Uh, and this is a situation that I find myself in. I, I want to believe Jesus. I, I want to believe Jesus 100%. I want to hear the words that Jesus says to me, and I want to go and I want to carry those things out in my life. I want to live as one who is obedient to the commands and to the directions and to the instructions that Jesus gives. But there's a nagging part of my heart, a nagging doubt, a sinful part of me that lives on and... Um, I tend to look more like the man who was healed at the pool of Bethesda, uh, wanting to maybe turn Jesus in or, you know, give me the blessing, Lord, give me the healing, give me the good things. But when it comes to stop sinning or changing my priorities or changing the way that I spend my time, not so much, Lord. Uh, I'm not going to give you rule of that part of my life. And so I really think that this story of the, the man with the demon-possessed son is beautiful for me because I believe, Lord, I believe but help 
my unbelief. And as we close tonight, I think that's the prayer that I would have for you and for me, is that God would help us to believe him, and he would help eliminate our unbelief. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Um, Thank you for the forgiveness that we have at the cross. Uh, Lord, thank you for the belief that you put into our hearts. And Lord, I pray for myself and for those who are hearing me tonight that you would help our unbelief, uh, that you would crash into those places of our heart that are strongholds of sin and doubt and questions and anxieties, uh, and you would fill it with confidence and belief uh, that Jesus is the answer to many of the problems, if not all the problems that we face in this world. Help us to trust you. Help us to trust him. Uh, and Lord, uh, help us to become people who are quick to obey, quick to get up, pick up our mats, and to continue to follow after you. We pray all this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks, everybody. Have a great week.